to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We will be um, looking at um, Acts chapter 1. If you want to turn there or open your device, we'll also uh, provide the um, uh, slides on the screen there for most of these. Um, as we go into this, again, kind of exciting time. I love the book of Acts, and um, a lot of people would say that um, the book of Acts, you know, it's not, uh, some, some scholars have tried to say that it's not theologically rich, but I would just say that, no, it's theologically rich. It, it's the theology kind of on the street level, when the, when the rubber actually meets the road, and that, that we're seeing the theology come to life in practical application through the Spirit into people's actual lives, and so some beautiful things that happen, um, and some different doctrines, and some different things that we'll get into as we go through it. Um, so um, we're going to be um, looking at this um, key um, verse that, that starts out the book of Acts, and Acts 1-8 is kind of the, it's not only the key verse um, for the whole book, but it's kind of an outline that Luke kind of follows as we go through the book. You're going to see actually that happening. And so um, it's also, as you look at Acts 1-8, we're going to see this uh, main idea of chapter 1. And so I've got that on the screen there, um, just that you will receive power. That's what he wanted to get across to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, but also you will be my witnesses. And so those two things are the, the, the big thrust of chapter one, but also that that verse, it, we're going to see him um, lead out with uh, Acts chapter uh, one, verse eight, and that's going to be a um, kind of an outline of the rest of the book. And it becomes an ongoing fulfillment of the great commandment and also the great commission. So if that's true, you're going to be my witnesses there, is you are going to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're going to go and make disciples, and so that's being my witnesses, both in your love for me, in your obedience of me, uh, your personal obedience, but also your obedience of going and preaching the gospel to all peoples. And so um, what that looks like as that starts expanding, um, what that looks like as God's redemption plan is unfolding, um, according to Acts 1. So then we're going to see that uh, transfer from, from chapter to chapter, from starting out in Jerusalem, those first few chapters, and then breaking into chapter 5 through 8. Then it starts kind of expanding into the uh, Judea and Samaria. And then um, we get to like 13 or 13 through the rest of the book, going to the ends of the earth as Paul becomes kind of the main uh, character taking the gospel on his missionary journeys. And he's church planting and going back and establishing churches. And so Acts 1-8 is just the outline that Luke gives for that. Um, some things that we're going to see is um, the, the sending of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, if I, if I had to break that down into like four areas, the first one would just be this recap that Luke gives. But this recap, this little synopsis or summary, as he gives in the first few verses there of chapter 1, it's the given. It's, it's the substance of what provides everything else that happens in Acts. So you can't look over that and just miss it. Um, and so um, we're going to see this recap from Luke, but then also we're going to see that, that promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. That the, as the Father has sent the Son, you got to think through this, the Father has sent the Son in his first advent, and then the Son is sending the Spirit, and then the Spirit of Christ is sending the church. And so that's kind of the connection that's going there. And so um, the Spirit begins to empower the movement of the gospel message. And as we're going to see today in this Acts 1-8, that this power that, that comes from the Spirit, it's not just, just for um, tingly feelings and, and supernatural powers and miracles and works. Every time the, the gospel goes into a new threshold, a new city, a new area, a new village. Sometimes there's signs and wonders. And so Acts 1-8 applies there. The Spirit gives them power to do those things, but it's not just for the miracle's sake. It's for the proclamation of the gospel. So the, the word there um, in, in the Greek there that's talking about power, it, it's a power of proclamation. It's not just what we think of just supernatural miraculous. It's to attract attention so that it would um, give evidence that this is from a power beyond us, 
from, from God himself. And so that draws attention, and now people listen, and it substantiates the message. And then the Holy Spirit changes people's hearts. So that's what you're going to see in Acts 1-8. That's what you're going to see as they go into different areas, and they're shocked by it. You know, you get in these parts, and they kind of go, and they, they've tried to be good, faithful disciples before, and they would run into problems, and they, they would run into people that they couldn't quite heal, or demons that wouldn't come out, and the Holy Spirit wasn't there. And so we're going to see a difference here when we see that. Um, and then at the end of the, the, the chapter, it's uh, the ascension and then the replacement of Judas. We won't cover those two probably today. Um, as, as you look at this, um, again, for me, I love the book of Acts. Um, I've seen some great things that have happened as we've talked through it before. Um, God tends to use it in some powerful ways. And so um, when we were um, just a couple of weeks ago watching the Super Bowl, um, many of you may have got into that, but so it's, it's this great game. Um, it's really exciting. They were just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I probably have some personal ties. I, when people watch Patrick Mahomes, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking like, man, that's, I, I think that's probably what Sankey was like. You know, I, I know that's what most of y'all are probably thinking. Um, and maybe not a lot of you, but my mom definitely would say that, but she's, God rest her soul, she won't be able to give evidence to that. But it, it, that's neither here nor there. You know, Jalen Hurts, good, respectable guy also. So I love Jalen Hurts' story. Um, he's um, just gone through a lot of opposition, a lot of difficult things. And so he just keeps persevering, keeps persevering. And so, so it's a great game. Gets down to the last couple of minutes. They've gone back and forth, back and forth. And, we're, and the, the Chiefs get the ball down there inside like the 15-yard line within under two minutes. And we're watching, and you're just like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Great game the whole time. And Owen goes, they give the ball number one, and he runs around. And we're like, shut up, stop. Don't, don't tell us what happens. And, of course, he's on, like, Twitter. He's watching the game with us, but he's on watching Twitter, and it's like, you know, 20 seconds ahead of what's streaming on our TV. And so why, why would you ruin it by telling us what happens here? You know, I don't want to hear about a fumble or an interception or he scores, you know. Like, I want to watch it. I want to be there live and experience it. And so the whole idea there is, is don't tell us the ending before we get to see it. I don't want to just hear the incredible ending. I, I want to be a part of that. We want to experience that as it goes. And so this book of Acts, I hope you don't look at as just good stories about what God has done in the past. But the, the book of Acts purposely um, does not, it's not come to a, a final conclusion because the, the book of Acts is the one book that is ongoing. It's kind of like Revelation is, has some futuristic language to it. Well, the book of Acts is left kind of as a cliffhanger because um, the church is still ongoing. And what I don't mean by that is that Scripture is ongoing. That's a fixed thing. So you always want to have an understanding that the Scripture is fixed. We're not adding to Scripture. We're not changing it. So when you know people come and say, like, oh, yeah, I was down Saturday. I raised a guy from the dead. You just kind of have to go, oh, okay, well, can you show him to me? And so things, because they're, they're, some people believe that they're, when they say we're living out Acts, they're thinking that Scripture is still um, being written and stuff. And so that, that's kind of different. And so um, as we go through this, some, some good reminders as we look at it is that it is still ongoing. So we've got the same God, we've got the same Jesus, the same Spirit. Jesus has ascended, and he said that the best thing is for me to send the Spirit because I'm in a physical body. The Spirit is a ghost, right? The, the, the Holy Ghost, he's invisible. And so Jesus is in a physical body. Now, we see in the New Testament early on, it seems like somehow he can kind of pop up where he wants. So if your idea is of heaven, uh, you know, it may be that we, our boys are hoping that's tran transporting and just where you kind of like just pop up in new places. And so there's times that Jesus seemed to just do that um, in, in the New Testament. So we don't know what that's like. So he could obviously do what he wants to, but he's a physical body now. And he's saying, if I was on the earth, I couldn't be in 10,000 places at once. If I was in Jerusalem or Tulsa or New York City or Dubai, I would be there. But the best thing is for me to ascend and go and prepare a place for you with the Father, and then the Spirit is going to indwell. So that's a, a big difference. And you may, you may take that for granted or not think about it, but he said that's the best thing because the Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell each believer. That helps with our sanctification. He's convicting of, uh, us of sin. He's, he's giving us hope if we're crushed in sin and shamed and, and guilted, that he's re renewing us and letting us focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and reminding us of truth. And he, he's bringing those beautiful gifts of renewal through repentance. And so that's a good work. He's encouraging us. He's empowering us to be able to do this broad, uh, or this uh, bold proclamation 
that it talks about in Acts 1.8. And so that's the work of the Spirit there. Um, so same God, same Jesus, same Spirit. It's the same gospel. It should be the same gospel and the same mission. We know there's a world surrounding us that's just broken. It's the same kingdom moving forward. And so that's why he said uh, this book of Acts is a picture of um, the gospel and the kingdom moving forward. And, and that's not over. We know that there's still people groups left that are unreached that uh, all over the world um, that, that still have not heard the name of Jesus, still have not heard um, the gospel and the true gospel. Here in Tulsa, a lot of people have a confused Jesus, a very uh, syncretistic Jesus, where it's, it's the, the, the Jesus that promises me health, wealth, and prosperity. Uh, a lot, it's a growing thing now in America, this, this Jesus that promises me that my, my, my government will be Christian or my, my political stance, and, and all the people in America have to be Christian. So that, that's, a, that's a little bit of a syncretistic Jesus. We've got to be careful of those false gospels that come about. And so I wanted you to think through this question. I've got that up there. Um, just thinking through for you personally, every week to keep this before you, um, was Jesus and his cross only meant to be a token for your security, just a token that you kind of tuck away in your back pocket for your security, think I prayed the prayer, think I'm saved, and now I'm just going to live life like I want to? Or is Jesus and his cross a radically dangerous and captivating God-man who confronts and kills and controls your plans for life? Because I, I think this happens very easily in our country. If you're in a country that grows up in persecution, it is him killing desires. You don't get all your desires. It's, are you going to count the cost and follow Jesus under persecution? Are you going to continue to be committed to him if you could lose job or family or finances or house? If you're, uh, you're cast out of all the people around you, would you continue to follow Jesus? Would, would you be committed to him? Here in our country, the danger is it's so comfortable and we're so um, acquainted with the points of Jesus that it is just something that he's, he, he's there's nothing um, captivating about it anymore. It, it's it's kind of old news. It's kind of boring. Um, and and we, we don't see it as him still controlling our plans for life. Now it becomes this thing where I've got him tucked in my pocket and now I'm just trying to be better with my morals and have my title list and trying to do this stuff. And, and it becomes, for a lot of people, just this legalistic trend. And then after a while, it, it, you feel defeated because we can't even keep up the list that we're trying to live out. And so it's just, and, and then we get defeated. And then we feel like, man, I, I tried. I gave Jesus a chance. And now I'm just going to coast into just comfort and just, Try to live my life. Wait for cancer to hit. And so um, that's how a lot of people look at it. So as we go into this, let's read um, 1 through 11. Acts chapter 1. So remember, this is Luke, and this is his um, uh, second letter after he wrote the gospel of Luke. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering and by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would um, help remove us from easy beliefism. Father, that you would help us to not have this idea of Jesus and his cross and forgiveness and 
resurrection, his ascension as a dusty old frame up on the mantle, that this easy beliefism that has no cost, that has no um, qualifications in following him. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to, to be um, just shaken free from this idea of this, this secular life I'm living and then this, this separate spiritual part, this little bitty compartment of my life that's spiritual. Would you break us free from the comfort of that, from the control of that, from the idea of that? Would, would you begin to open our eyes to see spiritually? Um, Father, we, we don't look at life with the spiritual warfare going around as we should. We don't look at life with the spiritual realm being right there, that, that we're part of this living kingdom, this eternal kingdom that's in a world set against us. We pray, Father, that you would shake us free from that. Would you begin to open our hearts and eyes to give us purpose and meaning, but, but to do that as a ripple effect because you have become more glorious. You have become more worthy of our time, of the relationships we're, we're building, of the people around us. Would you give us eyes to see people as sheep without shepherd that, that need the gospel, that need Jesus instead of just too bad, life's too fast. We pray that you would change us, Lord, that you would use your word and your spirit and use the church body, the people here, and use circumstances to change us. Um, we want to be witnesses for Christ. We want to have the spirit come in power. In your name we pray, amen. So as we, we look at that, um, I want you to think through what that looks like. Let's look there in Acts verses 1, 1 through 3. Um, and again, we're going to look at this idea of Luke's recap. And now the whole book builds off of these convictions. And again, it, it, we read through it real quickly, those first two or three verses, and we forget what that was like. But I want you to kind of, every once in a while, kind of enter back into thinking through, you're the crowd of people who saw this guy slaughtered on a cross, and, and you, you maybe didn't see him raised out of the grave, or maybe you didn't see him but you heard people start talking like day four and day five after the resurrection around town. Like, did, did you guys see? Jesus was in over at uh, Mary's house. And you're like, that's really weird because that was a horrible day. And we all gathered there in Jerusalem. We saw him die. That's really weird that people are starting to say that he's back alive. And so immediately, you guys, if you know church history, um, and it's, there's a couple of references in the New Testament about this, that the Jews who didn't want to see him as the Messiah, right? They're the ones who want him um, to be um, crucified. The Jews started a story that ran along saying um, some of the, his followers, they went to the grave and took his dead body out because he didn't raise from the grave. They took his dead body and went and hid it somewhere, you know, threw it in a lake, um, tied some stones to it. They burned his body. They did, so there's all kinds of theories going around because if Jesus is alive, that changes everything. If the resurrection is true, that, that changes everything. This, this is a really crazy story now. It's supernatural, and some of the things that he had taught and said repeatedly must be true. He must have been the God-man. And, and then if he's going to ascend up to heaven, that, that changes everything also. And so but if you're just a commoner who travels into the village and you're getting some stuff in the market, and you see you know, 12, 15 people, and you kind of gather over there, and they're talking about this, that would be really, really weird. So it's hard for us to think because we grew up in a time period when that was a fixed part, that was a whole package, and so we just assume that. Um, we, and sadly, sometimes we can take it for granted. So let's go through this. And just I want you to get some of the depth, the beauty and depth that Luke just says in these two or three sentences. So in this first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so we said last week, this is the sequel writing. So Luke's gospel came first. And in, in, in that first gospel, he talked about his life, his death, his resurrection, all the miracles, all the teachings, all those things. And then he was taken up. And so the Acts of the Apostles, that's the, the full name for the book, is the Acts of the Apostles. It's not really a focus on just the apostles. It's really the Acts of Jesus through the Spirit using the apostles in the early church. So it's still Jesus working, Jesus acting, Jesus speaking powerfully, his words going out, his teaching through the Spirit, convicting hearts, and then people come to faith and the church grows and the church is found and the church grows. And then that message going on. So it's still Jesus, even though we call it the Acts of the Apostles. Um, it's God bringing people into his redemption story and using his church and his redemptive purposes. Um, so it's the continued work of Jesus through the Spirit. 
Um, so I've got a slide here uh, that shows that. Um, so you think through, and theologians have kind of divided Jesus into, and this may help you on different things. This, this actually helps me if I'm thinking about um, things I need to be doing that I feel like I'm weak on, or if you're battling sin or temptation, you can, you, this may help you. The person, of, the person of Jesus and the work, meaning the specific cross work, because God sent him to, you know, the Son of Man come to seek and save the lost. He, he bought salvation. He paid for forgiveness. And so that's the specific work of Jesus. But they, they divide it into the person of Jesus also. And so the things that it was his person was his teaching, um, his sermons explaining the kingdom. So as he went out the way that when, when people come to him uh, as an ad, ad, adverse person, that he would respond in grace and peace. So the way he treated people with grace and mercy, even though he still kept all the God's laws, but then he began to show when it seemed like he was breaking God's rules, some of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, like, hold, hold, you're breaking Moses' law. He's going, you missed it. It wasn't about you know going around in a circle three times. The intent of that was for you to be focused and in worship of God. That's what the Sabbath is for. It's not how, how far you traveled or whether you ate this or didn't eat that. And he's about to burst it all open with Peter in the book of Acts. Remember in the book of Acts later on, Peter, the sheet that comes down, it's like, hey, Peter, Peter, take and eat. You can eat everything, right? Huge deal for Jews to this day, right? I mean, they, they can't eat pork. There's so many things in their dietary thing. And we're like, oh, no, we can partake of that. And so all of this was his teachings, his sermons, his explanation of the kingdom, um, his miracles, signs, and wonders, his life. This is a huge one. So again, you want to look at you're struggling with something uh, and you need to grow in it and power. Hey, hey, God, thinking about the person of Christ, he lived the perfect holy life. He did what I can't do right now. I, I'm frustrated with my coworkers. Jesus wasn't. He was patient. I don't have patience. I need the patience of Jesus, part of the package of righteousness. I don't have it. Would you pour out a righteousness and a patience that I don't have? I have to do that in the car all the time. My, my kids you know, are going to grow up learning that, you know, like every one other cars, they're just all called idiots because I'm like, what's this idiot doing? Like, hey, dad, is that an idiot in front of us? He stopped. And so, and you kids, that's not a good word, but what I'm saying is that that's a sinful thing of me being impatient. So I need Jesus to change me and bring me patience on something as little as being a minute later to a place. So the person of Jesus, hey, I need that imputed righteousness right now. You're frustrated and angry with someone. I, I need your, your loving compassion for them. When I'm just frustrated with them. Um, they, they hurt my feelings. They, they, they offended me. These people did something really bad to me. I don't feel like I want to forgive. And I know the rule says I, I'm supposed to forgive. Holy Spirit, would you change my heart, soften my heart? So can you see the practical application of using the person of Jesus, how he lived out perfect obedience, never broke God's law. And that's what we're going to be walking in in all eternity, by the way. Also, I go and I sin. Hey, I, the work of Christ. I blew it. I, I was impatient. I was frustrated. I was saying some things I shouldn't have said. I was thinking some things that I need the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ, the completed work of forgiveness. I need to remember that because I feel distance from you, God, and I'll just end up separating myself more. I need to know that I was forgiven. I can stand that, that you have forgiven me and that you love me. I need the work of Christ applied to my heart right now. So do you see the practical? That's just, that's just common. And the church doesn't really teach this really well, but do you see how the person, the beauty of that? The person of Jesus and the work of Jesus can be a practical application 12, 15 times a day, or sometimes for me, 12, 15 times an hour, maybe, you know? And so uh, those things, those are beautiful things. And he, he wants to help us. We think that it is, he's going like, good grief, look at you. You're still a mess, still a mess. Get stronger. Just be able to do this on your own. You've been doing this this long. You should be able to, and we walk in shame and guilt, and we feel pitiful, especially when you blow it in a big area. And he's going, no, no, no. I want you to be in worship of me, seeing your need for me, dependent on me, not self-sufficient. I never tried to tell you to be self-sufficient. And so that's the beauty of the person and work of Christ. And that, so, so that's part of Holy Spirit's going to come in power. Old Testament, they didn't have that. That's some beautiful graces to help and empower us. That's what Ezekiel talked about. So uh, it's rich. Let's look at this next slide here. Look, look at just in Luke's quick little two or three sentences in verse two there. Until the day that he was taken up, that speaks of his ascension. Now, if we're going to talk about Jesus lifting off and just standing there and just all of a sudden just starts elevating, going off into the clouds, like we can do graphics of that now on TV and stuff. And so 
that's nuts. Like, what would you do? Just think through your response to that. Like, you're standing there. He says this statement, and then he starts lifting. Like, I feel like I'd probably be running and, like, trying to grab and stop the situation. Like, no, 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 this can't. You know, we, we let you die. It was part of my fault. I should have stepped up then. I'm not letting you go now. You know, like, somebody running after grabbing his cloak or something. Or we just, like... You guys going to go to McDonald's? You, you want to go get something to eat now? What, what do you do there? Like, that's a nutso situation. And so, um, and, and specifically because you put it together, oh, wow, hold it. The Advent we just went through on Christmas. That was his first coming. The Advent was God's beautiful gift. I'm sending you God himself. I want you to see the full image of God. And so the Bible says that, that Jesus was the full display, that God didn't go, well, I'm going to give you 90%. I want you to see the Father and the Son and the Spirit revealed specifically in the person of Christ, and he's going to do this cross work that provides this atonement, my redemptive purposes. And so in that, we have the advent, and then his life, his death, his resurrection, and then his ascension, which the, the important thing about the ascension is he says, they say he's coming back. So we get to the last part of this chapter. Hey, why are two guys in a robe? Again, that, that's just weird. I mean, two guys just like pop up again like, oh gosh, who are these guys? Does anyone know? Anyone wear white robes? And they just say, hey, why are you standing here looking? He just told you what you're supposed to be about. He's going to come back in the clouds. Now, granted, most of us think, does that mean tomorrow? When's he coming back? Five days? Ten days? And so, and so the church didn't know. And so we're still waiting on that. So that's why I said about Acts is, is still in process because he ascended, and we're waiting for his second advent. So it ties all those together in just a short verse there. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen. So what were those commands, those last few commands? We know at the end of Matthew, at the end of Mark, and then here, Acts 1-8 and, and Matthew 28 and, and the end of Mark are kind of tied together when those last few days he was with them. All authority on heaven and earth. I know you guys saw me die and you're terrified, but I can change people's hearts. I know you're surrounded by some Jews who were screaming, crucify and crucify. You're going to see their hearts melt, and they're going to become worshipers of me. It's going to shock you, but I want you to go out and be my witnesses. I want you to go and make disciples of people who right now you hate, the Sumerians, people of other tribes and tongues and nations and languages that you can't stand right now. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And I'm with you the whole time till the end of the age. And so that idea, that's what he's getting out of them. So when Luke just says, he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Another thing that, that this picture of the apostles whom he had chosen, there was a fixed time during the first nine, you know, 60 years there from 33 AD to 96 AD, that, that's a fixed time. There was no more scripture written. So how do we know what Jesus said and taught? How do we know what New Test is called the New Testament as they were forming the books of the New Testament? It had to be by an apostle. And Luke just mentions this quick notice. Who has authority? Because there's other books of the Bible that they looked at and like, hey, there's a lot of truth in there, like 60% truth. But, you know, I don't, I don't remember Jesus really squashing a, a bird or calling down fire. And some of these guys are saying, that, that's not fitting. Let's ask the apostles who were there. And so it, it's, a, it's a foundational thing for the early church. What is orthodoxy? What is truth? How can we know what is New Testament? And we can put trust that this is part of the canon. And they didn't establish that for another, you know, for 325 years. So think through how difficult that was. And Luke just gives a, a, a little statement there. And he, after he had given commands to the Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen, which become the foundation of the church. And then it says he presented himself alive to them. That speaks of his resurrection. So just beautiful things. Have you thought through why that was so significant in those early days? Um, just just the, the craziness of that. After his suffering... It speaks of his cross, his atoning, substitutional death. And then by many proofs, after that stuff, appearing to them for 40 days. So now that, that brings in, oh, what was his body like? So we've got a few statements. Hey, does that give you hope? I got cancers popping up all over me nowadays. You see all kinds of things happening. And so does that give you hope? You lost a loved one? What's that immortal body going to be look like? What he's, what he's showing, this, this is what you're going to have for all eternity. And so um, just the immortal life, Paul talks about that. Um, 
And so it speaks of the immortal body, um, refers to Jesus as the first fruits, our representative, who the first one who rose to that resurrected eternal life. First one, he's the first fruits of that. You're going to get to inherit that. And the Holy Spirit is what secures that for you. That car wreck today, you know, death this week or, or, or 50 years from now, that's your guarantee of raising up because Jesus was able to do that. And Luke just throws in there as a quick side note. And speaking about the kingdom of God, it refers to and speaks of the coming kingdom. And for us, realize we've been brought into that. We are the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to Tulsa. We're the, we're the furthest points from that. Now, we've turned that around and almost made it, you know, in good intentions, like we're the starting point. We're the recipients. We're Gentiles, and we're the recipients at the end. And so the beauty of that is it's still ongoing. So, so look around the people. So for whatever reason, for the last three weeks, I've had to run to uh, uh, Walmart um, on Friday evening, like after 5 o'clock. And so I feel like nothing in relation to the people that are shopping then. I feel like no ties. And so it, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of people that just like, they dress different. They look different. I don't know if they have jobs. I don't know if they have taken a shower lately. And I'm not talking about like homeless people. I'm, I'm talking about these are couples. And so they're just some younger people. And I'm just like, man. And, and so I think through, and, and as I walk around, I see different people. God just keeps on just going, it's, it's, it's sheep that need a shepherd. That's, you see that? You see them fighting and arguing in line? You see them screaming at their kid over you know, candy in the store? Uh, maybe needed. And so uh, but all those things, um, they, they're sheep without a shepherd. And I think that Acts is screaming at us, and we're just busy with, with, with life over here. And God's going, hey, Acts says, I want you to be a part of the redemption process. I want you to be my witnesses. I want your life to, to count for that. And you're going to get a blessing and, and, and purpose out of that, but let your life be a witness for Christ. There's people out there that are sheep without a shepherd. I've, I've told you guys, like the spiritual decline in America and the, the, the church is closing down. I was talking with Jack on the way here. Just, hey, do you know that eight to 10,000 churches are closing their doors every single year? Eight to 10,000 churches per year. Five years? 50,000 churches. Now, some of that's good. That's kind of a pruning because they're kind of some crazy, wacky church. But it's hard being a church plan, isn't it? There's a reason that it doesn't just boom with hundreds and hundreds of people coming. So, so going, hey, we're going to try to forge into the kingdom, take light into dark areas. That's a difficult thing. It's a miserably difficult thing at some points. But, but God has said, Jesus said, hey, I, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So some beautiful things though that, that he just mentions. Um, that next section there, verses four through five, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So think through that. I forbid you from leaving Jerusalem. If you're one of those disciples, remember they just bailed on him. So their track history is anytime things, something bad happens, like they're out, I'm gone. Like we're just leaving, I'm getting away from him. <laughs> if anything's bad happened to Jesus, I'm going fishing, I'm doing anything. That's been their track record. What, what changes that? The Holy Spirit empowering them. And so some beautiful things there. But he orders them, don't leave Jerusalem. That's the one city they did not want to be in. I'd, I'd want to be in any city but Jerusalem. But do, don't depart, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. I uh, John baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So just some, some, some scary language there. And so we know that part of this is um, God is about to do this thing in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria that um, he's doing a hardening of the Jews, right? And he's grafting in the Gentiles. He's opening the door for the Gentiles. They did not understand this at all. So Romans, if you don't understand that, um, that, that Romans brings that out beautifully. Galatians brings some of those things out. So this, this grafting of the, the, the Gentiles and the hardening of the Jews, completely offensive to them, didn't understand that. Um, at the time, Jerusalem is going to be, for the first few years, the main stage of the church. Uh, even Acts 15, they're, they're the ones where they go to decide, is this legit? Is, are we sure God's doing this, that Gentiles are being saved and the Holy Spirit's filling them? And Jerusalem Council, they're the center spot, okay? Um, but when he says this, uh, Acts 1 shows and reveals to us God's desire to send the Holy Spirit 
in powerful ways. If we go back to some other place in the, in the New Testament, um, that these weren't out at that time, but Luke had even brought this up in, in his previous gospel. So if you look in Luke 11, um, we see that there's this idea of the seriousness in seeking. So we've got a slide there that the spirit is to be sought after. So, so think through this. We're Acts later on, but earlier on, Luke had showed, hey, and, and there's some, several places in the New Testament. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be open. So you can come with confidence that the Father hears and answers when you're praying in God's will. If it's just like, hey, I've got an old vehicle. God, could you give me just a $115,000 car that's really cool looking and everything? Like that may not be in God's will. Maybe you know that that may happen for you. May not. It may be just you got a fat bank account. It may that that, that wasn't necessarily God. But, but if you're just like, hey, I, I just really want these things, new shoes, and you've got ten pairs of shoes, that that may not be God's will necessarily. Uh, but so, but things that we begin to pray that's about God's glory and about other people's hearts. He goes, you bet I'll grant that. Your own heart growing in Christ likeness. So verse eleven says, what father among you? If his son asks for a fish, instead gives him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give a scorpion. If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, good question is, does that apply to us today? How consistent do you pray that way? Who seeks, asks, or are you doing that? What do many people consider um, to be the, you know, the thrilling idea of what, what it would look like for the Holy Spirit to come? What God, Jesus is saying here, hey, if, if you would be consistent and pray, the Holy Spirit could come in powerful ways, but what does that look like? What does it look like um, for us to want and desire that? Um, what does it look like for the Spirit to have a powerful movement? Um, We've seen in different time periods, um, the Spirit would come and there would be an awakening. So, you know, the first and second great awakenings, there was some around the 1200s. Uh, some people say there's some stuff going on around the Reformation time. Um, so, so this idea of the Holy Spirit coming and doing that, um, what does it look like for the Spirit to come? He and the Father are saying, we'd love to give more of the Spirit, but do we, are we a people that, that pray for that? Um, we, um, you guys, most of y'all know that I grew up in this area where um, uh, we were around, I was around some Baptist churches, some Bible churches, and then some Assembly of God, and so we'd go to different places, and so um, there was, I remember uh, one time when I surrendered my life to Christ, um, going in, so there was this one, it was an Assembly of God church in Muldrow, and um, I know a lot of you guys vacation there, and so um, like I would go there, and, uh, and it was one of those, like it, their idea was if we don't like build that piano and keyboard up and, and it just gets, and then people after a while and then people are swaying back and forth and it gets louder and louder. That, that was when the spirit hit. And so you could kind of, you know, build it up two, three, four songs into it and it got louder and, and then the sign was when people all got chills, the Holy Spirit came and you had to kind of wait. And so sometimes there would be times like on the Sunday night service where literally, you know, they would do the songs and maybe it just didn't kind of take, you know, and they'd get to the preaching of the word and he, he would kind of stop the service. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of concerned. Seems like we don't care about the spirit anymore. And then you saw the keyboardist coming up. Then you saw the, the person with the, and so then, and hey, you know, kind of rebuking the whole crowd. We don't care about the spirit. We must be out of the will of God. Now the music starts playing. And then sure enough. And so and I remember after three or four of those sessions of doing that, and then Wednesday night would be the same. And, but, and just this incredible feeling there. But then I'd get in my truck afterward and drive home and be like, man, there's something weird because it seems like, that's the spout where the glory poured out there. But then I get in my car and I still have work and all these people and all this stuff. And so there's this huge disconnect between these thrilled emotions and, and feelings and then like the regular world, Monday through Saturday. And so um, we have to have this idea that, that it's not just about feelings and emotions. But now, now some of us can come from a place where we're like, we're so scared of feelings and emotion that we don't want any of that at all. That like we're so skeptical of that. What we want is the truth to be there. We don't manufacture feelings that may just be chill bumps and wasn't the Holy Spirit at all. Because what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? He's going to bring 
conviction of sin. He's not just bringing thrills like you're riding a ride at you know uh, uh, Six Flags or you know like the, the entertainment end of of watching a great movie or a great game. That, that's not what the Holy Spirit's wanting to bring. Those are just enjoyable blessings of of life, and so. He wants to, to, to get our, our, our grasp on our hearts and go, are you really considering the beautiful thing? Are you considering the people around you, the, the beautiful things that God's put, uh, that, that God's glory is what you're living for? And so um, I want you to think through that. Um, what, what does that look like, um, that question? What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to move upon us? Um, do we... Sometimes think that whether it's singer or this euphoric state, uh, kind of emptying our minds is the idea, that, that we can build up feelings and that our actions prompt the Holy Spirit to come. Because in the scriptures, we don't see it, people doing something to kind of get him stirred up. It's people are faithful and truly holding their hearts out there going, we, we were praying, we're seeking, we're praying, we're seeking. What would you want? What would you want? Sometimes for years, sometimes months and years. Maybe it's quiet times for you and you do like two days, like Monday and Thursday. And you're like, well, I tried. Like that's not a real earnestness. Like he sees you're more concerned about what you're watching on TV. You're more concerned about you know your, your, the things that you're doing in your schedule than, than really going before him, seeking truly and earnestly wanting the Holy Spirit to just bring change. Maybe that's bring change where your, your marriage is better, your, your parenting is better, your, your friends, your relationships, your heart for other people. That's when the Holy Spirit's coming. And so um, would we still want the Holy Spirit to come if it means significant cost? What would it cost you? Sometimes that's some areas that he begins to shine the light on, like little recesses of the heart. That, that's dark, and he's going, hey, I know all this part looks good, but I see this part, and I want to deal with that. And we don't like that a lot. We want to kind of keep that hidden, and what we want to do, we want to manage that little compartment of sin and, and say that we're giving the rest to him. And we're afraid of the Holy Spirit coming and doing those things. So what would it look like for, for the Holy Spirit to move powerfully? Um, I, as I told you guys, um, God has had me repeatedly and repeatedly looking at this idea of the kingdom. So for us to think through what is this, this idea of asking the Spirit to come and also for the kingdom to expand. Um, in Luke 11 there, um, verse 29, he, he brought some things like, you know, don't be worrying about you know, where you're supposed to eat, where you're supposed to drink, um, where you're supposed to live, those things. Um, have your mind on the kingdom. Your Father, He knows what your needs are. He knows what your needs are. And so that sounds real good. But then when you're moving into a rent house and you're, the, the church is still needing a, a different place, and you're like, man, it's like we don't have a, a home home. Like we have a place that we stay, but like it's, it's not a home. And then like even the church, like not having a, a place where we can exist. And so it's just this weird thing. And so, man, the, the Father knows that you need those things. Just trust. But I want you to not be concerned about those things. What about the people, the kingdom? And so are we thinking through the people around our lives as God wants to pour out the Spirit to bring in the kingdom. Are we thinking that way? Um, it's hard when you feel like that you're, you're, you're trying to do things. Um, and, and like, what does that look like? Um, the, um, what does it mean? Would you pray earnestly asking for it if it was um, going to shake up some things in your life? Is that scary? And so he knows if it is. And again, so there, here's where we can go, hey, I, I just confess, I'm really afraid of giving it all. Maybe I, I've tried this two or three times and then I kind of back out in comfort. What would it look like to, to, to lay myself out there? What do you want from me, Lord? Um, would you ask and pray for it, desiring the kingdom if it was really going to cost you? Are, are we in love with our control, our comfort, our security, my life, my way? And then Jesus goes right from this idea into this, I'm about to tell you, your life is supposed to be about me. So look there in verses 6 through 8. So when they'd come together, they asked him immediately, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So, so let's get to the core of what they're really asking for. What's the true motivation? Um, first of all, they were, they were Jews, so they were, they were oppressed by so many people the one thing that they repeatedly wanted was the Romans to be overtaken, right? Just like Babylon. So physical power, political government power, 
man, look at our day. In, in other places as well as America, but all over the world, uh, heard of any Christians wanting the government or politics to align with the, their, their beliefs? My government must align with the Bible. Heard of that? It's become pretty popular. Is, is that, is that God, God said that's what must happen? That's called a theocracy. That, that, that's, that's called a theocracy. Our, found, our country wasn't a theocracy. And so to go, hey, we have to go back to that. Well, no, there were some believers, but there were some non-believers. There were some other things. And so it's not a theocracy. But man, that's what they were asking. Are you about to make it to where your rule, your kingdom applies to everyone and we enforce it? That's all I'm doing. It's about hearts. It's about hearts falling into the kingdom. Uh, Jewish alone, is it ethnic, ethnically restricted? He was about to blow that up, which was much more difficult. They, they, would, they would be fine staying under the Romans more than they would be fine with it going beyond the Jews. They were much more just Jewish than they were concerned even about the Romans. Um, is it racially divided to the way where it's yeah, racially divided and ethnically divided, Jews, Gentiles? We're okay with that. We're fine. In fact, that's more comfortable. And it's hard to grow a church in diversity. Only the gospel can do that. Because we have certain people, we talked about in a group this last week, it's just normal to, to, to appreciate and like and open our life to people who are kind of like us. We don't like people who have different things for their children, different things that they live for. And location, it was, it was Jerusalem, uh, it was going to be ge- geographically restricted. So uh, God working inside here. Is it just for us Jews and just for Jerusalem? And, and God was going, no, the book of Acts is going to blow your mind. The very first section, it's going to the people that you hate, the Sumerians, and to the ends of the earth. That's not what it's about. It's not restricted to those things. Our best life now, we we want um, to go back to life as normal. Jesus, would you restore your kingdom now so we can get back to how life is normal? We may mock Joel Osteen, but we may deep down secretly walk in pursuit of that every single week. We may mock him about your best life now, those, those weak people, but then our prayers and our actions and our life is actually just pursuing my best life now instead of sacrificing loss, working hard for the future kingdom. Um, so um, we want the blessing of Jesus' security with no implications bearing on how I spend my time and how I spend my life. Um, so we have to choose living for his kingdom or living how I want, my ways, my convenience. Um, and so Jesus is blowing that up. Um, then, then he goes into the, 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 the kind of a, an answer to them in verses 7 and 8. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed on his own authority. So this rebuke that, that you've missed it. After, after watching my life and the way I've treated people and all I've told you, how did you miss that it was going to be about getting this salvation of these people? And now you know the salvation is, is in my cross and this forgiveness. That's what life's about. Can you imagine tucking away that, that huge event and his resurrection of the grave going like, hey, are we, are we about to all be safe now? Are you going to make it a lot more comfortable for us where the Romans oppressed now that you rose, rose from the grave? And we would probably be asking the same thing because we're asking the same thing now. If we're, if, we're, if we're honest, sometimes a lot of Christians in America or so-called Christians, that's their biggest concern. They're, they're just like, yeah, that stuff that you mentioned, Luke, that recap, his, his life, death, resurrection. Yeah, I got it, got it, got it. But, but really, politically, here's what I'm concerned about. And that's what they were doing. And we do it so easily. And he's going, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses I've got kingdom work for you to do. Are you going to make life all about you and your comfort and your ease and the way you think that your life trajectory should go? Or are you going to make life being my witnesses? Um, They wanted his kingdom with all those rewards. And Jesus said, no, your life will now find its identity in me and my message. Um, I wonder if there's times when we keep asking for these self-centered desires and God's answer is no, but be about my kingdom work. No, I'm not doing that. But be about my kingdom work. No, it's going to get worse. And the money may get worse. And the economy may get worse. And the political situation may get even worse. It may come to a separation of states and over different things. And that, that, that's not what you're supposed to be about. You're supposed to be about my kingdom. 
And the more that you try to do this polarization and fall into it, the less you're going to ever have love for the people that need the kingdom and that need the gospel. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And so the focus of those two sentences there. And, and so it's just a beautiful picture that he, he's going through to say, if you understand this, you understand counting the cost. So all, now, now let's go back to the gospel. He says this, he's about to lift off. Now everything starts making sense. All of Jesus' former teachings and examples start to make sense with the disciples. This is what he was meaning, that the kingdom is completely different. And, and not completely different than, than, than what they were thinking and what we think sometimes, but it, it's a sacrificial, costly thing with him at the center. So some of those statements he had said, I don't have these first three up there, but if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Oh, that's, that's why he kept mentioning the cross. That made no sense a year before the day in Jerusalem. And I betrayed him repeatedly. If anyone's going to come after, he must. Not, not, not an option, not a half-hearted thing. He must deny himself, take up his cross, now understand what he meant, and follow him. Stay in Jerusalem. It's going to cost you. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake, eternally you're going to receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But, but there's so much I want to do here. There's so much I want to gain here. He said in, at the end of chapter 9 in Luke, but the one who puts their hand to the plow and then looks back is not even fit for my kingdom. So the person that comes and says, yes, I want to follow Jesus, I want to do this, and then looks back and, and turns away from that and gets back into worldliness, you're not even fit for my kingdom. In Matthew, this is a real difficult section, Matthew 10, 34 through 39, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. So then we have to understand literary uh, uses of language there. And so Jesus is, is going to this place, he's using hyperbolic language. And so the, the point when Jesus goes into these type of languages, you got to remember, uh, because people get whole theologies based off this, and you got to hold it, hold it, hold it. He wasn't saying literally everyone, if you've sinned, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. It's hyperbolic language. And the use of hyperbolic language, it's extreme language, um, and it's an exaggeration, an overstatement to grab your attention and go, wow. That must be really serious. He's making a really strong point. So, I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those in his own household. Well, hold it. He's always teaching about love and peace. I thought he did come to bring peace between God and man and one another. So now he's saying we can hate our dad, we can hate our mom. Is this an issue where he's saying that you can do that? No, he's, he's making this exaggerated talk and use of language and hyperbolic language to say, I should be so set apart from even your, your love for your mom and dad, even for your love for your children, even the, the love inside your own household. Whoever loves a father or mother more than me is not even worthy of me. So we don't take a practical application and go, hey, I've got to hate my mom and dad and beat them down to show my love for Jesus. That's not what he's saying, right? Because he also says that, hey, children, obey and honor your parents. But he, he's, going, he's using this as an overstatement to show, I should be so separated in your loves, even your love for your mom and dad, your love for your children should be so much different than the love that you have for me. That's what I'm looking for in these type of followers. So he holds on and he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Meaning if the person who's clinging to and holding on to my life, my control, the way I want things, you end up losing your life. And it means eternally. You're not part of the eternal kingdom. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So some beautiful verses there that talk about that. Galatians 2.20 um, so let me kind of tell you, this, this is all some, some very difficult things. That last little section, we're going to come back and gather next week where he ascends in verses um, 9 through 11 and then finish up with Matthias being brought in to the disciples next week. And we'll kind of tie into verses 1 through 8. And so this is some heavy stuff. But again, it should be because those original hearers, completely perplexed, did not know that Acts chapter 2 is coming. Stay in Jerusalem everyone's against us. The last guy that did this was crucified. What does he mean? And now stuff's starting to make sense. But now what's about to happen is 
power from above, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that is about the message of the gospel going forward to all peoples. So, so let me tell you, this is great news. It's joyful news. It's God's redemption being unfolded in his word, but this is a costly path. It's, it's a difficult path. Within days, we're going to see it. It's just within days, even after the Holy Spirit comes, hey, we got this new, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. You crucified Jesus, and the rocks start coming. Man, so churches today that you want know, to tell you that only prosperity, if you're living out the Christian life, you'll only get blessing and honor. Well, rocks started coming a lot when, when, when they did that with the power of the Holy Spirit, being in God's will, following God's will, following in obedience, in love with God, and death came, martyrdom. So within days, people are imprisoned and killed for this idea. You're going to receive power. Oh, great. You're going to be my witnesses. Great. We'll, we'll do that, Jesus. It's just like him. And Stephen's the first one martyred. So, so it's costly. We've got to realize, so what does that cost look like today? It's not us going out to our cars and us thinking through, man, since we showed up today and we're at a church, are we going to get killed? Am I going to go into work tomorrow and they're going to say, hey, Tony Wallace, we heard you went to church yesterday. There's 12 of us here. We're going to take knives and stab you. Like that, That's not usually the deal, right? And so what, what is the cost for us? What does that look like? And part of the cost is just us, first of all, just going, instead of holding on to life, hey, God, I see that you want the Spirit more in my life. You probably want to control and confront some things more. Would you come and break through some things in my life? Would you come and convict me of some things, bring renewal so I will love you more, so I will get idols out of my life, so I will be concerned about lost people? So as we, in closing, um, there's going to be cost, um, there's going to be difficulty, but it's going to be worth it. He said, I, I'm with you. I have all authority. I'm not leaving you. And it's the same idea that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and then you're going to be my witnesses. I think that sometimes we've just got away from that idea, and bigger places have to work on strategy and marketing and all the instead of, do, do we believe the whole, same Holy Spirit is changing us and can change the people around us? So I want you to be praying about that. Um, as Brad comes up, um, and just some closing questions to consider. Uh, does Luke's recap in 1 through 3 infuse your life with identity and meaning and purpose? That it's, that's the, become the motivating force in your life, that everything's guided by that. His advent, his life, his teaching, his grace, his mercy, his death, his resurrection, and ascension, which means he's coming back. Are they still controlling and changing you? And again, as Christians, we kind of tuck that away as I know the facts. I'm not really asking for a lot of change. And then also, do you desire and ask consistently for more of the Holy Spirit? What would that look like for God to start unleashing the Spirit on us corporately and individually? Some of you may have heard about it just a few days ago at Asbury School. I guess they're having this huge, just didn't plan on it. You know, they come and had some worship songs. Guy got up and spoke. It wasn't some overwhelming, powerful message. They did songs at the end, and people started coming up. They didn't have like an altar call. People started coming up and just praying. And then more started coming, and they were confessing sin and a brokenness over sin. And so now it's lasted several days. So it's this awakening. And so people are all you know, skeptical or interested. Like, what does that look like for the Holy Spirit to come? Man, America needs it. Would you ask and pray for it if it was going to cost you? really cost you? And what does it look like personally and corporately in 2023? You will receive power and you will live as my witnesses. What does that look like for you personally and corporately? So let me pray and then we'll go into a response song. Father, we do come. I'm just acknowledging it's very easy for us to want and desire our life, our way, our control, and kind of just wear a Christian badge or a Christian t-shirt awaiting for the day that we can pull out our sinner's prayer card and stand before you and hope it all goes well. And God, there's much more that you want to engage us in. Um, the people around our lives, there's much more that you want us to see you powerfully work in, like in the book of Acts. And Father, sometimes we're so distracted and we've eaten so much and filled ourselves so much of the world stuff that, that we're not really that hungry for the spiritual things, especially uh, the invisible, powerful working of the Spirit that we don't even know what that looks like. We're afraid of you exposing our own sin in our own hearts. We're afraid of what change would look like or fearful that we can't change. 
We're afraid of being embarrassed by um, being Christ's witnesses in a very radical way. And so, Father, would you allow us to have changed desires? Would you break through to allow us to ask that question? What does it look like for us to truly see the Spirit come in power and for us to be your witnesses? What does that look like for us, Father? Would you begin to do that work as we go through these first chapters of Acts? In your name we pray. Amen.